0: Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posting July 22nd, 2016, we look behind and beyond the failed coup in Turkey, its implications for Turkish stability for relations with Washington and the fight against ISIS. We'll also point out top features in the new WPJ summer issue. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this... In the capital city of Ankara, in metropolitan Istanbul and elsewhere across Turkey last weekend, there was helicopter gunfire shooting in the streets and jets screaming overhead as military and police units attempted a coup against the increasingly Islamist and authoritarian regime of President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. But erdogan rallied more forces and dramatic citizen support via cell phone and live facetime video and quickly began a vast purge of opponents whether or not connected with the failed coup though seen by some as strangely half-hearted or disastrously inept the coup attempt left at least ninety dead and eleven hundred wounded according to a state-run news agency by midweek the political fallout included nearly thirty five thousand members of the military police and judiciary dismissed or arrested more than 15,000 members of the education ministry suspended, 1,500 university deans forced to resign, 21,000 private school teachers' licenses revoked, and a three-month state of emergency with suspension of the European Convention on Human Rights. All that, plus Erdogan regime insinuation that Washington was complicit, left the most serious questions about Turkey's future as a stable democracy, as a member of NATO, a wannabe member of the EU, and as a reliable ally in the fight against ISIS in Syria or Islamist-linked violence in general. Those issues are addressed in a World Policy blog post headlined Turkey, Erdogan, and the Coup That Wasn't by Ahmet S. Yela, former department chair at Haran University in Turkey, now adjunct professor here in the George Mason University Department of Criminology, Law, and Society, former chief of counterterrorism and operations in the Turkish National Police, He's also deputy director at the Washington-based International Center for the Study of Violent Extremism, ICSVE. I spoke with him just days ago for this podcast. Ahmed Yehler, welcome back to World Policy on Air.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for hosting me.
0: Let's start with the coup attempt itself, which some Erdogan opponents suspect the president somehow precipitated precisely to permit a purge. At the very least, you have questions about the weak way it was carried out by units of the military that has pulled off numerous successful takeovers. Say more about the dubious timing, what they did wrong, or or not at all.
1: Okay, before that, I would like to go back a little bit so that we can better understand uh, what is really going on in Turkey for the last two, three years. Uh, On 17 December 2013, The Turkish national police in Istanbul carried out an operation. It was a corruption operation and Erdogan's son and his close minister's sons were involved in that operation. They were arrested. There were searches in their homes and there were millions of dollars and euros in cash and in cheques found in their homes and the operation involved. Uh, a massive corruption operation which also involved an Iranian businessman called Vizar Zarraf uh, who became a Turkish citizen through the Turkish uh, prime minister's decision who also used to be a close friend of President Erdogan. Now, uh, what is really important about this case on the 18th of December Erdogan came out and said that This is a coup attempt against him, and he basically revoked the rule of law, passed new laws from the parliamentary immediately, and fired all the prosecutors, the police chiefs, and anyone involved in those investigations, even though the sons of uh, ministers who were getting bribes from dirty dealings uh, were arrested, and Reza Zarraf himself was arrested in this uh, operation. They were all released from the prison. Erdogan fired hundreds of prosecutors and judges after he changed, amended the law, and fired around 2,000 police officers and police chiefs, and reappointed maybe over 30,000 police officers. So basically this attempt was in a nutshell itself a coup coming from Erdogan government against the rule of law. For the last two years, many people suffered under Erdogan regime because this operation happened, because the dirty dealings of Erdogan and his people were uncovered. Now, if we fast forward to May 2016, the same businessman whom Erdogan called as a charitable and honorable businessman, uh, his name Reza Zarraf, was arrested in Miami by the FBI when he was traveling to the United States to take his daughter to the Disneyland and currently uh, this person is in New York prison and there is an ongoing investigation against him and the charges involve money laundering basically the US federal prosecutors uh, accuse him laundering Iranian oil money through Turkish banks and Turkish uh, authorities, uh, which involves Erdogan and his ministers and Turkish several Turkish banks. So, this was a big issue in Turkey and also in the United States. If we come to the coup, which happened on Friday, looks like uh, the military, majority of the military, were really disturbed by what was going on in Turkey, both uh, internationally and domestically. One of the biggest reasons behind that disturbance was the ISIS terrorist organization has been enjoying uh, the open support that they have been receiving from the Turkish government. I know the military was really upset about it, and many, many secular people in Turkey and many security people also were really upset about it. What or how I read this coup attempt is like this. Most probably, uh, almost all the generals or the people involved in this coup, in the military, came together and thought that it was the time, uh, seeing what was going on in the country. Even though I am completely against a coup and... Completely for the democracy. I'm just trying to reason what was going, what was uh, happening behind the curtains. That's the reason I'm asking about it. Uh, most probably Erdogan learned about this coup attempt and persuaded some of the perpetrators and divided them before the coup attempt happened. And the coup attempt that we saw happening on Friday night at 10 p.m. Uh, was after the involvement of Erdogan Uh, which was we can basically call as a premature premature coup attempt to save himself and to take advantage of the coup attempt that was going to happen.
0: In your post for the World Policy Blog, you say that the timing of the coup uh, so early in the night when people could still be rallied, that uh, the restraint in in using the kind of force that even the number of military units uh, who were involved had suggested that they they thought they were going to have a bloodless operation and instead they had a failed operation.
1: Yes. If you start to a coup attempt at 10 p.m., it is very clear that people are going to resist to that attempt. And I am quite sure that those those people who are behind this coup attempt are aware aware of the fact that if they cannot succeed, they were doomed. But the way the coup attempt was orchestrated was doomed to not to succeed. If you start at 10 p.m. and if you cannot arrest the key figures of the government at that moment and let them speak on the media and social media and not shut down the internet and the TV channels, how were you going to be able to control the masses? So exactly this happened, Erdogan came out uh, to the social media and FaceTime, ask people to go to the streets. Basically, this was the end of the coup. And also, Erdogan's private jet landed at Ataturk airport while there were at least three F 16s wandering around the Ataturk airport. Even though they knew um, Erdogan was landing at Ataturk airport, they didn't intervene, they didn't force him. Not to land, because it was obvious that if Erdogan landed at the airport, the coup would end, and he would be the new hero, uh, which happened without any interruption.
0: Why do you think there was such bad timing and such undue restraint on the part of those who sincerely thought they had a coup underway?
1: I think this is a result of intervention coming from the government. They learned about the coup. Uh, and they planned to use the coup attempt to their advantage if you look at uh, the Turkish national intelligence um, statement they said uh, that they let the chief of staff and the presidency at 4 p.m. that there was something going on with the military there is a possibility that there is going to be a coup attempt so the coup attempt started at 10 p.m. There were six hours in between, and we did not hear anything about the coup attempt in between during those six hours. And also, yesterday Erdogan came out and said that he learned the coup attempt from his brother-in-law. So it just doesn't make any sense. Most probably, they knew about the coup attempt, and they wanted to take advantage of this coup attempt and they intervened, somehow persuaded some of the um, attempts who were going to be involved in the coup attempt and started the coup uh, earlier than they planned, because uh. no one in Turkey would start a coup at 10pm. The, the coup timing in the past was 3am in the morning, while everybody was sleeping
0: amazingly Isis weighed in against the coup attempt lending support to reports that Erdogan's regime continues to facilitate movement of recruits and equipment to the radical Islamist forces in Syria and Isis exports for profit in the other direction including sex slaves. Uh, you've referred to that. What, what in more detail does your research show about that and about the Isis presence inside Turkey itself?
1: Okay. Let's look at uh, ISIS and how how it evolved during uh, the last three years it has been around. Around 40,000 foreign fighters joined uh, in the ISIS cadres to fight for the terrorist organization. And almost all of those terrorists joined uh, to the ranks of the terrorist organization going through Turkey. And if you look at the logistical support the ISIS enjoys, we can clearly see that all the weapons, ammunition, and other logistical support, including the food, vehicles, or anything that you can think of, goes uh, through Turkey. Up until the end of 2015, Turkey kept its borders widely open and never intervened or stopped an ISIS terrorist going to Syria or coming from Syria. There were a lot of instances that ISIS terrorists were stopped by the police inside the country and the police himself, the police officers who stopped the terrorists were harassed by the chiefs or the governors whom were appointed after the corruption charges by the Erdogan government. So, the bureaucracy clearly knew that you do not touch ISIS. If you stop them, if you mess with them, the government is going to mess with you and fire you. So, ISIS enjoyed widespread support in Turkey. What happened? They established several hundreds of cells and support places around the country, especially uh, in some regions uh, where they have a strong base, like Gaziantep, Şanlıurfa, Konya, Kocaeli, Istanbul, Ankara, and I guess they are waiting for their orders for the future attacks. If you look at the social media, you can clearly see their existence because they are very openly and freely operating on the social media and talking about their activities what's going on with isis and cheering up for isis attacks on the social media on twitter facebook and on the telegram communication channels and such to support erdogan government and ask their supporters to go out and support the akp and anti-coup movement and while they were reasoning that they said openly if the coup succeeds we are doomed in turkey we cannot operate from turkey so we have to support Erdogan. We don't want the military to take and assume the power. But stepped up
0: Turkish attacks on ISIS under U.S. pressure and the OK for U.S. sorties from Insulik Air Base also have yes. sparked ISIS counterattacks on Turkey and doubts about yes. Erdogan's real agenda and power to protect his people. What explains his double game?
1: You know... Um, Erdogan has been losing his support in international politics. In the international arena, people are aware of what's going on in Turkey. And I think he used ISIS to gain uh, the support he lost in the international arena. Several times, ISIS attacks, which were carried out in Turkey, uh, put Erdogan to the front, and many international leaders called him to convey their support messages to him. For example, normally Obama uh, was not talking to Erdogan. Uh, The communication in between them was really low. But after the attacks, every time he called him and conveyed his message that he supports Turkey and Turkish anti-terrorism efforts. However, if you look at the attacks themselves, ISIS has never claimed the attacks that happened in Turkey. Strangely, ISIS comes out very harshly uh, to claim the attacks they carried out around the world, especially in Europe. But none of the attacks in Turkey was claimed by the ISIS terrorist organization. So there are several important questions behind the attacks. And if we study those attacks one by one, each one has uh, deep questions about the way the attacks happened. For example, a CHP parliament member, Erdem, came out and explained that he has records of police wiretappings on the following and intelligence wiretapping of perpetrators who carried out suicide attacks in Ankara, uh, which killed over 100 people. And the police knew that that attack was going to happen, that the suicide bombers were carrying out a mission, but they were never stopped. So I think ISIS terror is being used to gather the international support and the justification for the government to go after the Kurdish minority and other problems they are having.
0: How much has the military purge diminished Turkey's ability or willingness to assist the fight against ISIS? Could that actually help Erdogan by diminishing ISIS counterattacks on Turkey or by your logic harm him because he doesn't have the sympathy of world leaders if he stops suffering those attacks?
1: Okay. First of all, I think we should look at the structure of the Turkish military. For years, Turkish military Um, has been known with its harsh secularistic approach and Turkish military has been known as the guardians of secular Turkey so many officers in the Turkish military are against Islamic radicalism and against political Islam and Erdogan is aware of this fact and has been struggling to deal uh, with this, to secure himself, because when he was first elected, the military leaders were not happy about Erdogan. And for the last uh, 15-16 years, there has been deep struggles in between the military generals and Erdogan. So we know that for sure our Turkish military is against political Islam, the use of Islam for political gains, and especially jihadi islam so the military leaders were not happy about what was going on in turkey in regards to isis cephat al nusra and other jihadi terrorist organizations in syria especially uh, while they were aware of the fact that they were being supported via turkish government institutions so i think with the latest purge on the military the fight against isis and other jihadi terrorist organizations is going to kill down very badly. If you look at the number of the arrests from the military, for example, Turkish military has around 300 generals, totally. Over 120 of them were arrested almost at the same day. If you look at the, after the mass of the coup attempt, we can see that the arrest lists were prearranged because after Erdogan landed at the airport, Atatürk Airport. He left the airport around 10 a.m. in the morning. And they have started to arrest military officers, police officers, and prosecutors and judges in large numbers in three hours. And those numbers in the first day, in the first eight hours, reached up to 6,000 military personnel, police officers, and prosecutors and judges. So we can understand that Those lists were prearranged, and Erdogan knew what was going to happen. So they made the list that would crush the opposition, uh, be coming from the military, the police, and the judiciary. And they wanted to fire all those people who were going to be opposing his future dealings, and took this opportunity to arrest them and to sideline them
0: there's a suggestion that turkey might further impede the war on isis by banning u.s. forces at inserlec already forced to operate on backup power unless washington extradites a muslim cleric named fethullah gulen an erdogan ally now a bitter foe self-exiled in pennsylvania and he's blamed by erdogan for triggering the coup via his followers throughout the country including the national police force before we explore that issue though we should ask whether in your twenty years with the police Was there any Gulen connection?
1: I think there are people in the police who like what Gulen is doing, but I cannot uh, tell you that, as claimed, 50-60% of the police supports Gulen. In my mind, I have spent 20 years uh, in the police and as a chief of police, I could sense that uh, there were police officers who liked him, but I cannot see an open and a total backing of Gulen in the police and not especially in the military. I think what happened here, because Mr. Gulen was one of the few voices against jihadi terrorism in the world, and he was one of the people, especially after 9-11, who came out and denied violence and terrorism openly, who said a terrorist cannot be a Muslim, and a Muslim cannot be a terrorist, which is a very strong Sentence from a Muslim perspective, and who said Osama bin Laden is the person whom I hate the most in this world. He also spoke to the hearts of the police officers because most of the police officers hate terrorism. So that approach comes from his approach um, towards terrorism and how he handles violence in regards to Islam. And from that perspective, if you look at the claims, if Gülen had many generals and officers in the military that supported him, for the last three years, Erdoğan has been crushing his institutions inside the country and internationally, Erdoğan even had talks with international leaders to close down Gulen schools in different countries. If Gulen had that power in the military, he would very easily use that power and his supporter base in the military to threaten Erdogan to stop what he was doing instead of watching all his institutions crushed one by one inside the country. So I believe Erdogan is using Gulen as a space god to cover his atrocities, to cover his corruption, to cover his support against uh, his support to the terrorist organizations and to cover what he did uh, with the Iranian businessman to launder Iranian oil money, which is over 100 billion dollars during the sanctions, to save himself. So Gulen basically became a space god at the hands of Erdogan to save his future.
0: Apart from Gulen, what carrots and sticks does the U.S. have to influence Erdogan?
1: I think uh, the case in New York, how Erdogan supported um, money laundering um, in regards to Iranian oil, a huge case, and that case disturbed Erdogan very deeply. Also, Erdogan used Turkish state banks to launder uh, Iranian money and also the corruption schemes that he was involved which is thought to be over 250 billion dollars over the years of his administration uh, are the biggest critics that the world has against Erdogan also the support ISIS and other terrorist organizations have been enjoying under the Erdogan regime is one of the biggest because um, Russia and other big states are really aware of what was going on and there are cases pending um, in different institutions, international institutions uh, opened against Turkey and Turkish government
0: before we go we should ask about your research on the link between some very powerful specific ISIS media exhortation and recent major terrorist incidents, most notably the suicide truck attack in Nice, France. What should we know?
1: ISIS in the history has the biggest propaganda machine a terrorist organization created. They are very successful on the social media. And also we should be aware of the fact that ISIS has been enjoying the widespread and availability of video producers in Syria before uh, the conflict started so when ISIS invaded uh, Raqqa he immediately started to use those, those video producers because Syrian video producers were known with their skills and the cheap labor that they had so almost Every day ISIS produces two, three professional videos and pushes them to the social media through Twitter, YouTube and Telegram channels and all over the world their supporters can watch and download those videos. With that, there is a new phenomenon in international terrorism. In the past terrorist attacks would happen through a strict hierarchy through the orders of the central committee or central leadership of the terrorist organization like it happened at 9-11. However, with ISIS, we are experiencing a new phenomenon, which is ISIS inspired attacks through the people who do not have any direct connections with the terrorist organization. And in some cases, like in Florida, uh, Florida, Orlando, uh, in Paris and Brussels attacks, the people carrying out the attacks who do not believe in the ideology itself or who do not practice ISIS ideology, and even we can tell I talk about that if those people, the perpetrators, were in Raqqa, they would be beheaded because of uh, how they were living their life, especially if you look at the Orlando attack, uh, Nice attack, Paris attack, and Brussels attacks. We can see a common uh, thing in those attacks that if those terrorists were in Raqqa because they were doing drugs, taking alcohols, and they were clubbing with women, and even some of them were gay, they would be executed under the ISIS rule. However, somehow ISIS persuades them, maybe not ISIS, but the ISIS propaganda on the social media, and help them carry out attacks. Now. We call those as lone wolves and they are carrying out attacks by themselves mostly, at least uh, what we can see for now. And it is a nightmare for the law enforcement and for the intelligence. And there are uh, several reasons for that. The first is the biggest indicator for the law enforcement and the intelligence is the radicalization process and the interactions of uh, to be terrorists with other terrorists uh, during that radicalization process if the law enforcement cannot intervene and catch a near-to-be terrorist during that radicalization process it is very and extremely difficult for the intelligence and the law enforcement to find about that terrorist in the future because basically that terrorist is out of the radar if he is not interacting with any known terrorists or radicals inside their country.
0: I was fascinated to read in in one of your reports that uh, among the messages that ISIS has put out were specific uh, suggestions for different countries, and indeed for France, it was vehicles or trucks to be used as a weapon.
1: Yes, yes. In that specific video, which they released after ISIS deputy Adnan Isipich, which was just before Ramadan, and the deputy of ISIS, uh, just before Ramadan started, the month of Ramadan, the Muslim's fest, uh, which is a holy month for the Muslims, he came out and said that I'm speaking to our supporters who couldn't make it to the Islamic State. Yes, you should be under the rule of Islamic State, living under the uh, in the land of Islamic State. But since you couldn't make it, I am giving you a chance. I offer you to carry out sporadic attacks wherever you live, kill civilians, as many as you can, and may Allah give you, from his speech, a martyrdom during this holy month of Ramadan. And after that speech, that speech was translated into several different languages and put on, uh, was put on the internet, on the social media, and people started to respond to that speech from different countries, especially from European countries, with citricus, citricus notes, saying that we hear you, and we are going to obey to your orders. Now, they released this video. In this video, there are uh, a few critical points. First, in the video, they explained through the scripture of ISIS ideology uh, why attacks should be carried out. And then, secondly, they explained why they should not distinguish um, killing Uh, civilians. So basically they try to persuade their followers to kill civilians because there is this ongoing debate um, in between their cadres because there are some of their members are deeply disturbed of killing children and the innocent. So they want to make sure that the future attackers are not um, disturbed by this idea. And after trying to to kill civilians, they put out a few examples. Among those examples was France. They openly named France and said, we are talking to our members in in France. Why don't you carry out a truck attack with explosives uh, driving that truck over the civilians? And they basically made a scene with a truck implanting explosives into a truck. And very surprisingly, they also asked their followers in Germany to carry out an attack And they said we have sleeping cells in Germany waiting for our orders for a future attack And last, as you know, uh, three days ago there was an attack in Germany The other countries mentioned in this video um, are Australia the UK, and the United States.
0: Ahmed, what does your research for the International Center for the Study of Violent Extremism and your years of interviewing terrorists for the Turkish police tell you how best to counter the recruitment or self-conversion of violent Islamist extremists?
1: Okay. Once a person becomes a true believer of an ideology, it is extremely difficult to change his mind or it will take... A lot of time to convince him to stay away away from terrorism and violence. So our approach at the international centres for the study of and, uh, violence and terrorism, with Dr. and Speckert, is to reach out to the youth, especially, to convince them about what they are getting into before they join to the terrorist organization.
0: It's like immunizing them before they become infected. Yes,
1: yes, you are right.
0: Let me ask you one more question, and it's much in the debate in politics in the United States. Does the appeal of ISIS vanish if it is defeated on the battlefield, or is it just more widely dispersed and therefore more difficult to
1: target? During our interviews at the International Center Center, um, of the Study of Violent Extremism, ISIS members told us that if the coalition forces succeed against them, what they are going to do is they are going to shave off their beards, cut their hairs, and blend into the societies. So all of a sudden, we are going to have a guerrilla-like terrorist group inside the societies in Turkey, in Europe, in the Middle East, instead of like a terrorist group, who, uh, who is fighting with a conventional army. Now we know our enemy, where they are and we can shoot them with airplanes but if they are vanished we are going to have more difficult problems because they are going to be among the societies and it would be more difficult for the American intelligence and for the rest of the world to go after them because most of the time they are going to be hiding inside the um, communities which is very difficult to infiltrate and to find out who is who so i don't think we are going to be able to wipe them out completely by military means in the future it is essential that we fight against their ideology and against their hypocrisy and against their violence
0: amadiela thank you very much you are welcome Ahmad S. former department chair at Haran University in Turkey, is now adjunct professor here in the George Mason University Department of Criminology, Law, and Society. Former chief of counterterrorism and operations in the Turkish National Police, he's also deputy director at the Washington-based International Center for the Study of Violent Extremism, which just published the book he recently co-authored, ISIS Defectors Inside the Terrorist Caliphate. His current post for the WPJ blog is headlined Turkey, Erdogan, and the coup that wasn't. Featured in the new WPJ summer issue, Renegade Cities, you'll find articles about a black market for water in the Indian city of Chennai, about public-private collaboration for affordable urban housing, at least on paper, and about the problems with plans for a northern powerhouse in Great Britain before and after Brexit. And listen next week when our podcast will consider global factors connecting Brexit in the UK with the triumph of Trump in America's Republican politics and the rise of the right elsewhere in the world. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, Managing Editor Jaffa Frederick, Podcast Producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern.